0: To uh, the, the next stage in our series on living life well, um, as we move into uh, this, yeah, this kind of second part of it, really haven't had the introduction to it all. And last week um, there was there was a word shared uh, about. The Lion of Judah came out of that song about the Lion of Judah roaring across the city. And it was a kind of image of God's authority um, over whether it's over the kind of the, the skyscrapers of materialism, uh, whether it is over the, uh, the temples of false religion, or whether it's just over the poverty and injustice. Everything that seems to be out of kilter in our world. And a few weeks ago, we had a similar picture, a kind of prophetic encouragement um, out of that song as well, which was about the lion being roaring over the land and over the people. Um, and over the words in big letters that spelt hopelessness. Um, and that's that whole thing that God speaks into the hopeless situations and over the hopeless circumstances that we face. And it, maybe you saw the, the news item this week of the, the West Midland Safari Park and poor that lion Jelani getting outnumbered and attacked by nine lionesses. Poor guy, he got absolutely hammered and eventually the, the, the park keepers had to intervene and, and get him out of that situation as the, the pride to try and find out who's boss in that situation. But very often in our lives, I think we, our faith feels more like that. You know, we feel that our lion is more like Jelani who's not quite roaring as much as he should. You know, perhaps we've come today and we think, is there, is there even a God for my situation? And if there is, can he do anything about it? Can he fight my battles? But there is, there is a Lion of Judah, and because of that, he, he can, he does see our circumstances. he does know the situations that we face, and he has the authority over those situations because he was born in Bethlehem um, in Judah and he comes with that authority because he does see hopeless circumstances. He does know uh, what is happening in our lives and he does have authority to make a difference uh, in these situations. And uh, we see that time and time again in Jesus' life in the Gospels. You read the Gospels and you see how he intervened in people's lives and situations. And our Psalm today, Psalm 46, um, is written by another king of Judah, uh, by a guy called Hezekiah and uh, he was someone who faced, again, a hopeless situation, but he saw God come through for him, and so he writes at the very start of this psalm, God is our refuge, our strength, and our ever-present help in trouble. And the historical backdrop of this psalm is probably God's deliverance of Jerusalem from the Assyrian uh, army um, when Hezekiah was king. You can read about it in 2 Kings uh, 18 and 19 and Isaiah uh, chapters 36 and 37. It's worth a read um, if you haven't done recently. But here's the story in a nutshell because Hezekiah is one of the good kings. He's a faithful king. In fact, in, uh, in verse five of chapter 18, it says that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord our God of Israel and there was no one like him uh, of all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. What a great commendation to have. And. Uh, he lives at a time when, when Israel, the nation had been split into a northern kingdom which can kind of retains the name Israel and the southern kingdom um, which was Judah and he is king uh, of the southern kingdom. And the Assyrian armies sweep down from the north bringing God's judgment as it were on the land of Israel because of its compromise uh, um, and its, its kind of backsliding in life. And, uh, and takes them and deports them um, back out to Assyria, uh, marches them away um, and then he, he wants to carry on like a big game of risk and move into Judah as well. So he kind of takes the main cities of Judah um, and he's now camped around uh, Jerusalem, threatening Hezekiah to finish off the people. He tries paying them off with all the gold he's got and all the gold from the temple but that doesn't make any difference. He's gonna carry on and completely finished the job. And so he starts to taunt Hezekiah and he shouts at him and he shouts in front of all of the people in his own language to humiliate him even more that he's not going to do anything. Whom are you going to depend on, he says. You know, you're going to go to Egypt like you always do. Uh, Egypt being that metaphor in the Bible for kind of solving a crisis the world's way. And uh, he says it's not going to make any difference. Um, um, He he says, he says this, he says... uh, Hezekiah is deceiving you, puts out his propaganda. Don't listen to Hezekiah who says the Lord will deliver you. He didn't do it in the north. He's not going to do it in the south. It is a hopeless situation that Hezekiah faces. And then Hezekiah gets his letter out because he's not only had it in verbally, he's, the guy sent him a letter, Sennacherib, the, the Assyrian king, sent him the details in the letter to say what he's gonna do and, and all the rest of it. And so he takes the letter to God, to the, to the temple, and he starts to pray in 2 Kings 19. And this is his prayer. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Give ye, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. And he continues his prayer. And then he ends Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. And as a result of this prayer, he then gets this encouragement from Isaiah, who sends him a a message, um, which is quite long, but he ends by saying that the king of Assyria will not enter the city. He will not shoot an arrow in the city. Um, In fact, he will not invade, but will turn back. And miraculously, that night, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers die. Okay, they are miraculously killed overnight without any battle at all the angel of God somehow moves uh, upon them and so the Assyrians turn back they break camp their weapons are destroyed and eventually the king himself is is killed by his own treacherous sons uh, sometime later so no wonder Hezekiah writes our God is our refuge and our strength our ever-present help in time of trouble. This is a living reality that he's experienced. Verse seven, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And verse eight, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations or the amazing things that he has done and brought on earth. And then in verse 10, we get this iconic statement, uh, be still and know that I am God, that we sung about earlier. And as we look at, a life lived well, as we learn how to live life well, as we unpack the practices of solitude and silence in these next few weeks, the heart of it is this. It is to be still and know that he is God. To know that he is God in our lives. You know, It's Hezekiah's faith that trusts in the power of God and in the mercy of God and in the grace of God and in the love of God and the authority of God. That, that he has. And be still literally just means to relax. It means to um, take your hands off. You know, so much of it in our lives we want to control. So much in our lives we realize we cannot control. And we come to this and God just says, take your hands off. You know, trust me with this. There are many, many things that are beyond your control. Understand that and take your hands off and be still and know this, that I am God, I am your God. The Lion of Judah roars over your situation. Many of you will know that Iceland is famed for its volcanoes and uh, even a few years ago there was a, it was an eruption which kind of grounded virtually the entire planet's planes didn't it the aircraft you might have been on holiday and got stuck somewhere i don't know but because of the ash clouds the planes weren't allowed to fly uh, certainly around europe and the north northern hemisphere and uh, iceland sits straddling the kind of these two uh, big geological plates They're the north american continent and the european or eurasian continent and these two tectonic plates are pulling apart every year and so there's a huge amount of energy um, and geothermal power that basically means iceland is what it is and there are all these volcanoes um, erupting from time to time in 1783 there was a particularly devastating eruption. It was almost apocalyptic um, with an unstoppable lava flow. It was called the the scafta Relda eruption. This is a a map from from the the time um, of some of what it was doing locally. And the ash went as far as China, as America, and uh, and Africa. Um, It turned Europe dark. It was that impressive, um, the ash. It affected the climate worldwide for several years afterwards. It was incredibly hot and dry and drought uh, in the summer. It was incredibly cold in the winter. There were floods in all sorts of places and uh, there was major crop failure across many, many countries, including Europe. Um, in fact, it's reckoned he may have even triggered the French Revolution a few years later uh, because of the unrest of the people um, who weren't getting fed at the time. It was huge, it was massive uh, what happened. But there was also an Icelandic pastor, uh, a Lutheran priest in a little village on the south side of Iceland. Um, he was also a self-taught naturalist and he kept incredible historical records of what was happening to the land in Iceland and what, how the livestock were being killed and the flow of the lava uh, and the eruptions. And he wrote this, he wrote this about the lava, or the flood of fire as he called it. The flood of fire flowed with the speed of a great swollen river with meltwater on a spring day, which in Iceland is pretty impressive also. Great cliffs and slabs of rock were swept along, tumbling around like large whales swimming, red hot and glowing. John Stein Grimson. Okay, pretty pretty scary stuff. And he's got a church that he's preaching at that is and the lava flow is two kilometers from the building. And on July the twelfth, twentieth, seventeen eighty-three, he's preaching a sermon there, which later became known as the Fire Mass. Okay? People came to church that day. In fact, they, it was so foggy and so kind of cloudy with the ash that you literally couldn't see the building until you got right up to it, okay? And uh, it's, everything is, is pushing on. And as they arrived, they started to, to pray and had this service. He was known as the pastor of the fire afterwards in Icelandic, okay? There's thunder and lightning outside because of the, all the electronic charge in the ash clouds they're pretty apocalyptic, as I say. And they start to cry out to God and start to pray for God to help. And miraculously, their prayers are answered and the lava flow stops. Okay, The lava flow cut off two of the rivers and blocks their path. So they reroute and the, the rivers end up dousing the end of this lava flow and the church stands. Okay, The um, similar thing happened uh, in 1729 in Northern Iceland where the lava flow comes down through a farm, is about to hit the church, and then it flows either side of the church, and it's carved on the pulpit um, in the the place that's there uh, today. Um, Remarkable stories that say, be still and know that I am God. Trust in God when circumstances seem to be unstoppable, when they seem to be overwhelming, and when there is chaos around, and there might even be tragedy around. Psalm 46 emphasizes the presence of God with his people in times of trouble. Verse one, he is ever present. Verse five, God is within his city. Verse seven and 11, the Almighty Lord, the Lord Almighty is with us. It's a Psalm that emphasizes the difference it makes when we put our trust in him. In the change of life, in the chaos of life, in the difficulties of life. It is an absolute key to living life well. In these first three verses, we read, and the emphasis is on God as our refuge, on our strength, on our fo- as our fortress. He is dependable as that refuge. You know, when everything else is falling apart, we can come to God. But He doesn't protect us just to make life easier for us. He shelters us so that He can strengthen us, so that we can go back out into the world to make a difference. Uh, Psalm 71 verse seven puts it quite well. He says, I have become a sign to many, you are my strong refuge. I've become a sign to many, you are my strong refuge. And I quite like this picture actually because it's of a lighthouse in a terrible storm and you're sitting there thinking, actually that is a pretty safe place to be. He can come out of his door and have his photograph taken. Right, it's amazing. would I mean, will love to try that? I don't know where the photographer is, but hey. Okay, that is probably one of the safest places to be in the midst of the storm. And yet it is also, it is a light to warn others. Okay, we're not just protected for ourselves, but we are protected for a purpose as well, a sign to many. And uh, it's worth saying that Hezekiah, after this amazing story, doesn't live happily ever after. Chapter 20 is about a great illness that he has to face. And he has to come back to God again. The Icelandic pastor, if you read the stories about him, okay, Iceland, the population was, was 25% of the country died of starvation because of the famine that followed. Half of the livestock was killed, okay, including his wife died, age 31 I think. Okay, it was not happily ever after, okay, but God came through and actually the authorities started to send all the, the destitute of Iceland to his parish. Okay, and he started to minister to them. Be still and know that I am God. It only works as we put our trust in God. You know, so often I hear people say, I will, I will trust in God if he does this for me. But actually, God turns it around and he says, Put your faith in me and see what I will do. Okay, it starts that way around. We trust him the word trouble uh, in this psalm here describes people who are in tight places people who are stuck in a corner people who are unable to get out they're hard pressed from every side you know the stress of life the chaos of life if you like and the psalmist says simply don't be afraid don't be afraid Isaiah's message to Hezekiah when he when he hears the words in public and when he has the words written on paper is this God says don't be afraid of the words you have heard you know the declarations made the words written don't be afraid, 2 Kings 19 and verse six. And Psalm 46 again, You know it says that the earth may give way, the mountains or the volcanoes may flow into the sea, Um, the heart of the sea, the earthquakes may shake, but God is in control. And uh, the roaring seas and the foaming waters in verse three often used in the Bible to represent the kind of the political upheaval of our world, it says again in in verse six about the nations are in uproar and yet even with all that's happening around us politically, nationally, internationally actually our fortress, our refuge through the uncertainties of life um, is God. The next little section of this psalm says there's a river, okay, there's a river of joy verses four to seven, whose streams make glad and the scene here moves to the city of Jerusalem and uh, the people are trapped in the city and they're surrounded by the encamped Syrian army. And uh, we know that water is a vital resource in our world and particularly in that part of the world um, is a precious resource. And in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was one of the few cities apparently that was, that was built not on a river. And so Hezekiah and his wisdom, and you can read about it in chapter 20 verse 20 of Two Kings, uh, builds an underground uh, water system um, to supply the city but he knows deep down that his ultimate supply is in God. The ultimate river is in God himself. And in the days of King Ahaz, um, who who is his predecessor, who was not a good king, Isaiah had reminded the people that their God was like a quiet river, a river known as Shiloh in Isaiah 8, verses six to seven. That God was like a quiet river but the Assyrians were going to come and invade the land and that would be like a a kind of the mighty floodwaters of Euphrates coming upon the land. It was not good. And yet God was that quiet river and it's a reminder that God's people have always depended on the quiet, hidden, spiritual resources that come from him alone. Be still and know that I am God. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. God will help her at break of day. And, and literally for Hezekiah, he wakes up in the morning and the Assyrian army have been taken out. Okay? God is the Most High. This is his testimony. So no matter what circumstances we face, we can always come Whatever's happening, we can always come and we can drink from the water of God's joy and God's blessing and receive strength and receive peace for whatever it is that we face. So God is our refuge. There is a river, a river of joy. And then the last part of the psalm is just God is God. Okay, God has acted. God has made a difference. God is glorified. And the scene changes to the fields around. Uh, Jerusalem, as he looks out upon all the armies that have been taken out and all the weapons that have been destroyed and all the equipment that has been broken, and none of it can be used against them um, again. He's defeated, God has defeated and disarmed their enemies because Hezekiah and his leaders have trusted that God will be God. Um, His prayer, you know, as he simply takes a letter of, of accusation from the enemy to God, is simply to bring it to God and to pray. Now, O Lord, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. God is God and he will be glorified. He will be made known.